0: Welcome to the Project Unchained Podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing that you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Leppela, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living my first 28 years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I've learned with you, to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get Unchained.
1: When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone,
0: everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd, and no one heard you, no one heard you speak your Ashanti, my friend, thank you for joining me here on the Project Unchained podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. Good to see you. Good to be here with you. Yes,
0: good to be here with you again as well. Last time we chatted was for for your podcast, Taking Off the Mask. How's that been going for you?
1: Yeah, you know, this year is uh, 2023. We're excited about what's coming. You know, we um we have a new youth host starting, so just got that locked in and helping him get started. So we have the goal for that, you know, it's going well. I would say that, you know, trying to do things, trying to make an impact, trying to make it meaningful to people. And so, you know, I, it's it's, it's, a, it's a product of the heart, right? And so yeah. sometimes the heart translates really well. And sometimes it's, you know, you have to, like, like create a new little things that help it translate to others well, right? So, But it's coming out with the best intentions. And people who come on the show, I think, feel – well taken care of and held in high regard and we just want to normalize these conversations with men so you know it it would in in its it's due time you know i imagine right for sure yeah what
0: what are those conversations what is taking off the mask what are you doing with that for people that might not be familiar with it
1: yeah you know we we call uh Oh, I'm gonna ask you a question to answer it first. Like, do you have a do you have a go to answer when people ask you how you're doing? You have a go to answer. You know,
0: historically, it's always been, "Oh, I'm good," but I'm trying to be more honest with myself and the other person when they ask me that. So, I I try to I try to break that pattern and that habit of just I'm good because sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm not in a good good state of being. This week, it's been a, a, a heavy week for me at work. It's been okay. the workload got a little bit heavier than I anticipated, and that's been kind of a little wearing on me. So if somebody were to ask me how I'm doing this week, I'd be like, ah, I'm, I'm heavy. I'm a little overwhelmed. Mm. I got a lot on my plate.
1: So nice. that's, that's what it is this week. And I'm glad you've made the, the difference between the way you used to answer and how you try and answer now. And, and I do the same. I find myself when somebody says, how are you doing? And I catch myself saying oh, I'm good. And then I'm like, I have to like process myself a lot of questions. Okay. Am I okay with that answer? One, two, do I think this person is really asking with enough desire to hear what's beyond the good, um, is this person somebody I trust enough to tell them what's happening beyond the good do I need to have an impression on this person beyond the good and so, so the question always is, is like I have to be and it has to do that quickly you, I can't stop and like hmm do I trust you enough to tell you how I'm really doing you, sure. you almost have to be able to like know that my soul wants to tell you that man it's a it's rough right now but I know my head is always trying to protect my image and trying to protect me right like So I think what we talk about that is that's the mask. The mask is when we let people see not all of ourselves. And everyone doesn't deserve to see all of ourselves. We, we don't, we're not saying masks are bad, but it is a, a way of me saying, okay, I need to be like this right now for this setting, for this person, for these people, for for this level of responsibility that I have to these people. They don't need to see all the other stuff. So we call that the mask. And so in our experience with the work is asking people, are they willing to share three things behind the mask? You know, we know all the stuff that we let people see, right. but the taking off the mask is just an invitation to reflect on what's happening behind that emotional mask. And we find people often are willing to. Sometimes they not, haven't thought about it themselves so long because maybe some of them, you know, we when we talk to a lot of the young people, they're like, yeah, I've been, you know, you've been just wearing this for so long. I don't even know. I've tried to, I've ignored what was behind it so long that I'm trying to think about what is back there. Right. And I think uh, that's been the experience. And so that's the work is like, do we get a chance at any point to reflect on what's happening behind the image that we put out for the world to see? And I think for a lot of our work is like, you know, we have our different masks we use in different places. My work mask, my, my friends hanging out on Friday after work mask, my with the kids and family mask, my with family and responsibility mask, like all the different hats we wear kind of brings its own mask sometimes, you know? And, and what I, what I invite people to think about definitely for the work, work the, the podcast with men is, do you have a place that you can take it off? Because some of the masks get heavy. It's not only the the the, the present day masks, but the all the masks I got to keep carrying around to keep interchanging for the people who are or who I live who I connect with every day. It can get heavy, and you can lug around this bag of masks that you're just like <laughs> slugging around, and you're like, "Who who am I?" Like you constantly shift back and forth. And I think that's what we're trying to normalize. And so we've been with these conversations. It's men of all ages from as many countries as we can find people to communicate with who want to share what's happening with that mask. And it's been, it's been beautiful, man. It's been a, we're um, we're having more conversations all the time and meeting new people all the time. And um, you know, meeting you, you were introduced by one of our other guests. And so it's yep. kind of like we, we meet people who we've never, who I never would have met, like living here in Oakland, right. Necessarily. But to be able to have the, the, the wide web <laughs> to be right. able to connect with people um, who are like-minded, but also who are willing to, sh- you know, reveal and share more of themselves. Definitely. That's definitely been a really fun part of the
0: journey of, of creating a podcast and, and what you, what you think you're creating is likely going to be different in reality because you, you brought just that, like you meet so many different people along the way yeah. that, you have to just be ready to let the story unfold as it's meant to unfold rather than the image you projected a year ago onto it. One of the things that really hit me when you're talking about the idea of the mask and wearing the masks and you're constantly interchanging the masks and do you have a place to take the mask off? Yeah. And the thing that I hear when, and the thing that I think about with a lot of that is, you forget you're wearing the mask, so you become disconnected with yeah. like, your emotions and your feelings and where those are at, and you check out of those and you lose touch with those, yeah. and that's a lot of times when we get down that, that road where all of a sudden maybe we're doing and accomplishing all these things, but we still feel empty and unsatisfied and lacking of fulfillment because we've
1: yeah. lost the connection with ourself. Yeah. And even, and even not only lost the connection, we probably have gotten really good at, um, uh, at repressing. Oh, yeah. So like something something comes up and we're like, oh, I can't deal with that. We stuff it. Another thing comes up, up, oh, I can't deal with that here. Stuff it. And we get we're so good at stuffing them that we don't even know that we're about to be at the levy <laughs> of our hearts, mind, soul. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden, one little thing happens. We're in a moment of like by ourselves in a house, or we're with only one or two people who really love us and we know, and all of a sudden we may erupt we may hit a, I mean, I've, I've hit lots of walls in my life. So (laughs) I just know growing up as a teen, I didn't have a place to release emotions. So sometimes my mom would say something, some, her husband would say something and I would go in my room and I would be like, and I would punch a wall. I I had so many holes in that wall. when We moved out of there. (laughs) I was patching up walls for days, but I remember it's because I had nowhere to, I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't talk back to my mom. I couldn't, deal with it in any other way so i only had this way it's like oh i hit the wall luckily it wasn't a stud <laughs> right. it, it gave enough resistance that the sheep rock broke and uh i felt a little release and so okay i i brought the level down a little bit more and then all oh, it takes is you know a couple weeks a month another boom in another way and and then you just realize you just keep doing this you just you're never really dealing what you're dealing with because you never have a you never feel i never felt i never felt a safe enough place to To take the mask all the way off, so I was always just as much as as much as this punch in the wall or this breaking of something that won't cause me too much you know problems in the future would get off my chest, and then I just keep I kept just kept I was like a I was like a thermometer like of 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 energy just kept filling it up like I I talk about this with our young men and I say look some of you are walking around like landmines yeah and no one even knows they can't see you (laughs) they don't even know that they've stepped on it. And all of a sudden, now you've exploded on somebody, but it wasn't what they did. It was the twenty other things you ignored that you didn't deal with, that you repressed, that you stuffed, and the 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 the, the stuffing had no more room. Right. And now there's an explosion, and this person's like, "Dude, what's what's going on? Just I, I, it was an accident. I, we're in a grocery store. I bumped into your cart. What are you?" And now somebody has lost their mind about one thing, but it wasn't that one thing. And I think that's what we see over and over happening in our communities and on the news and society and in so many ways. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely,
0: it's it's interesting how that happens. Uh, there is a book that I read not too terribly long ago that explained that in a slightly different way that that allowed me to understand some things a little bit better in that our unconscious mind is, as we know, really super powerful. And it like, it catalogs all that stuff. It doesn't forget. Oh boy. Oh but the boy. thing about the unconscious mind is that it does not acknowledge the existence of time. Only our conscious mind acknowledges the existence of time because it's a, a constructed idea that we've created. That's right. So that's why something that can happen today can re- boil up feelings to the surface from something that happened 5 10 20 years ago because yeah. there isn't that time concept it doesn't know it's not aware of it so if we're not good at letting go of those things in the times that they happen we store them and hold on to them from a yeah. like an energetic standpoint and they're they're we're carrying them with us everywhere we go a lot of people yeah. that I work with, I, I tell them like, Hey, you know, we got to learn to unpack that shit and we got to, we got to check it. It's like going on a vacation. You don't yeah. go to that Hawaii tropical Bahamas beach vacation. And the first thing you do after you get out of the airport is get your bags and go to the beach. No, you go check <laughs> your bags in your hotel room and then go to the beach. You got to <laughs> learn to check your bags. Yeah. we all have them,
1: but we got to check them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even with that analogy, right? I mean, and you, and you could just take your luggage down to the beach, but you're probably going to make a mess for the rest of your trip. You're probably going to have sandy stuff like following you down the next weeks or yep. however long, right? And I think that idea of like, Oh, this, oh, then who's going to watch it? Who's going to, who's going to protect it while I'm in the water? Right. Like now I got to always be on super alert for yeah. when I don't deal with it. I'm always on alert. Am I, am I acting this way? Am I behaving this way? Because we're, we're oftentimes carrying that stuff that stuff that we that we don't think people would understand or willing to accept and man I what what, you know most of our work primarily started with young men and what I was seeing them is I mean I was trying to create for them what I'd never even had myself I didn't have a a men's team at that time but I was realizing these young men are carrying a bunch of baggage and they don't even know it (laughs) they don't even know like like I had kids you know I'm telling them to take out a pencil and get to work and they yelling at me and I'm like Hey, hey, hey. I'm a hothead too, so I gotta be careful because I'll I'll start yelling back, right? But I'm like, hey, I'm not why are you yelling at me? I mean, I'm asking you to take out a pencil, which is my right to do, is my responsibility to do, you're supposed to do. Why are you yelling at me? It wasn't about me. Maybe the kid didn't have breakfast that morning. Maybe the kid had a situation at home that night before. Maybe they haven't slept in 10 days. What whatever the situation may have been. Them yelling at me, and if I'm not careful as an adult, and if I haven't done my own emotional work, I could easily be like, I, I, I can, I can, I got, I got a loud voice, right? <laughs> I got a lot. Of, I, I'm pretty crafty with words, you know what I'm saying? I, I could be crushing in those in those moments, but I realize that oh, this kid's not really yelling at me. They're letting out some steam that is about some other stuff, and I'm the easy target because hey. I'm the teacher. I'm the, uh, for, I'm the, I'm the authority figure. I, I have no power over them really. Um, except, you know, grades and get out of my classroom. But hey, for some kids, that's, 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 that's brownie points to get kicked out of class. That's a, that's a prestige, right? Like, oh, yeah, I told Mr. Branch off, right? Like that, that gets you some points, you know, with, with some peers, right? And I think that. But because, because I realized something else is going on, I'm like, hey, let me let me chat with you for a second. Let, let's go chat right here. Let's go chat, chat outside. And I'll just say, like, man, I, I ain't your enemy. I mean, I'm not sure why you're yelling at me. I'm on your team. Right. I'm on team success for you. Why are you battling against me? Like, I don't want no, no harm to you. But when you come into this room, I need you to know that my expectation of you is going to be here. I'm not going to have low expectations for you. So if you're looking to be in a place where people are going to let you just do anything, then that's not going to happen here. You're going to feel the pressure. And for some kids, that's not good pressure. And for me as an educator and a person who, you know, who recognizes where some of these kids came from, not all of the situations, but a lot of them, like I, I wish people would have like pushed me more sometimes, right? And so I think that that's what we try and do. And so when you see those young men who erupt out, and if they erupt out against the wrong teacher, they're going to be in a lot more trouble because this teacher now, which are mostly in our in our schools here, definitely in California, definitely around the nation, 75% teachers are white, are, are white women. And if you're a black boy, what are you going to do? You basically, this teacher can now tell the school that you they're afraid of you. And now you're dealing with something that's not even about this teacher. But now the teacher has now made it personal because they take this yelling at them personal. And now what happens? Now this young man has got got to go talk to the 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 school people. The blah. He he can get so much more trouble. But it wasn't about the teacher. It was about whatever he was dealing with inside. And how often does that happen? Not just with teachers. How is it happening with parents and spouses and partners and? and all kinds of situations in society where we don't get a chance to navigate those emotions in a healthy way. They come out in unhealthy ways and no one sees that we're just having an emotional moment and then we get stigmatized or we get and So I think it's just so much of that. These conversations are so important, right? Because we need to hear from each other. We need to and listen to each other too. Right. And find the way forward
0: to be able to, stay connected to the parts of us behind the mask so that yeah. they don't build up and blow up. Yeah. You know, And I, I also want to just express my appreciation to you as a, as a human right now. Cause it, while you're saying all that stuff, I just, I couldn't help but think, man, I really wished I would add a teacher like this in my life. Awesome. And Thanks. I like, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that you're having just an incredible impact on those young gentlemen that you work with. That's
1: school. cool. Man, thank you. Well, you know what, you know, I'm not in the classroom anymore. And I miss it sometimes. I miss it. I'm in a I'm in an office, right? Like <laughs> I've run this organization now and and I miss it. I miss going into I mean, I still get to go into schools, which is why I still do a lot of the workshops. Right. And what I what I've seen, when I see a student, like I was at a school the other day, Northern California near Sacramento, and I was walking, we were going to do a workshop and I'm walking carrying out my my, my gear for this workshop. And there's a kid on the wall over here by himself. Like there's a bunch of kids around with their little groups, and this kid is by himself on the wall, like just looking at the ground. Oh my! I got goosebumps even thinking about him right now, man. Um, I felt that. (laughs) Like I felt that all these hundreds of kids around, all these different groups of friends and groups, and this one kid right there on the wall by himself. Like, and I couldn't ignore it. And so we were, the people who I was walking with, they were walking me to the cafeteria. They were going this way. I just detoured. On, I didn't even tell them I was detouring. I just detoured to go say hello to this young man. Because what is it like to just be, maybe he chose to be alone. I'm not, I wasn't trying to force anything on him. I just, but what if he didn't? What if he didn't know how to fit and connect and feel belonging. So I walked, I walked his way and I said, hey, how you doing? Good, good afternoon. And he kind of looked up. He wasn't expecting, he don't know who I am. I don't know who he is. He was like, I was like, how are you? Good to see you. And he was like, and he smiled and he said, he said fine or something. And I said, have a good day. And I was on my way somewhere. I didn't really have a time to really stop. I would have loved to stop and talk to him and say more words. But man, what if, People just did that more, just like not let people. If they want to be alone, hey, you can be alone. I, I, it's not about me trying to force anything, but I, but I've seen so many schools and students who are just sitting by themselves, just and just a look and a smile just go so far. And so I think we often miss it. We, we may not even know how to ask for it, right? Like, what if you were really antisocial or you were. You were you had anxiety, or you, you had social anxiety. Maybe it's hard to make friends or anything. And I've met kids like that before, but I don't know this kid from anybody else. But I know that my my heart said, "So I'll go say hi, just go greet them." Right. And I think that you know, imagine, uh, imagine me, like imagine how many times that goes on every day where people never get said hello to, and they just sit quietly, and people just walk by them. And so I I made it a, a part of my personal mission is that if I'm ever on a school campus and I see it, I'm gonna say hello. I, I'm not. I, and it may is so, so small, maybe it's, it's nothing. But for me, because it's it's easy lift to do, I, I'm gonna do it. And and I remember them. I remember their eyes when they when you said. Sometimes they're just like, what? You know, maybe they may be like in total shock to somebody. or they may just be. But he his, when they light up, you just know. At least you, for that moment, like you let them know that they were seen, and I felt not seen many times in my life. So I know what it felt like to somebody to say, "Hey, how are you?" and to feel like, "Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still here." Right. <laughs> i st- Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man. That's that's fantastic. That's fantastic yeah. for sure. I can definitely relate to times in my life as well where I have not felt seen or heard or like I belonged and can recall times where I'd be that person on the side alone. And it definitely wasn't a choice. I don't, now obviously people do need alone time, but at the same time we are social creatures by nature. So we're not naturally going to, in a social environment, isolate ourselves. We're often isolating ourselves as some, coping mechanism or trauma response or fear or feeling rejected something along those lines so I can only imagine that a moment like that can be you know a bright spot in a young guy's day
1: yeah it was it was it was it was beautiful I was yeah I don't know if I won't forget it for a while right it was like these moments that happen right you just so many moments in our lives happen and they just kind of go through and go out but like when I talk to educators when I talk to you know teachers parents. You know, for me, it's each one of the stories. The young people who I've mentored for years, I get to watch them over time grow, right? I get to watch them, you know, there's one young man I'm working with right now in seventh grade. Now he's a junior in high school. He went from being, like, almost silent, like, like no words to, like, now, like, he's he's communicating. And he has so much stuff that he's been blocking, like I, I knew stuff was going on, but I didn't know what. And I remember just like, okay, one day, one day he may be ready to talk. But, and finally, like he started to find his voice and he's been carrying around all this stuff for so long around behind this beautiful smile. And I, and I, my work is also like how we not let people wait till they're my age. You know, I didn't join my men's team until 20, until, um, 2000 and 2010. So you know, twelve years ago, almost thirteen years ago now, but before that, I didn't have a place. I didn't know there's a place you could trust men that you could talk about what was going on in your life without feeling ridiculed or less than a man or, or small or or all the things that I was raised to believe that talking about feelings meant. I didn't know there were men out talking about their stuff and having a safe place to do it. So why why did I wait till I was thirty to do that? Why? Why didn't that? Why wasn't that created for me when I was younger? Well, the society I grew up in doesn't say it was not It wasn't It was not manly to do that. So therefore, and I'm wondering why we don't for all the men in the world who know that it's actually powerful and important, why we don't help go back, right? And, I, and, not, and not everyone is not meant to be a mentor necessarily, but like why do we wait? Why do we let young people wait till they're they've fallen into you know some maybe tougher times or maybe hit walls that they can't move through? Then we say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe you should talk about what you're feeling." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, maybe i could have started this ten years ago. I would have been better off right now. I wouldn't have hit this wall like this. I wouldn't have hit the bottom of this, this barrel, this bottle, this whatever." Like how? And so, my work has been like, "How do we start earlier? You know, how, how about I stop waiting downstream till we see all the kids floating in the water trying to survive? Why don't we go upstream and find out why they're falling in in the first place?" Like, I think we know some of the behaviors that are starting early. It's, it doesn't start when you're 18, it starts when you're five and kids are saying, he's a sissy. He's a, he's a, this, he's a, that he's a mama's boy. Like, and then you begin to be like, you get tougher and tougher and you be like, okay, I don't feel nothing. And then, you know, right. and I think that, yeah, anyway, so those are the pieces that I keep seeing keep showing up as a, as, as reminders for us as a society, as a community, as, as men who, who see it, who can, who get it. Right. Cause it's, everyone hasn't, had the space to get it yet for sure for sure
0: i know i still feel like even at 38 about to turn 39 there's days where i'm like i don't know i don't know what the fuck this is going on inside me there's something what do what what am i feeling what is what am i what do i need and i can't help but think sometimes about how disconnected i got right out of the gate you know oh boys aren't supposed to cry toughen up all that stuff like no fuck that like, we all have yeah. emotions and feelings, and we need better tools to right. cope and regulate and move forward with. Yeah. And so yeah. it sounds like that's one of the big missions behind, like, your organization, um, which is Ever Forward Club, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Ever Forward Club, yeah.
0: To be out in the community and connecting with younger kids to to help them and give them better tools to be able to to cope and regulate.
1: Yeah, it started it started I mean I was a first year teacher, it started with young men in my class. I mean, I was I, I was a I left engineering career to become a teacher, so I was a I, was, I made a career move and then as a first year teacher, I was doing a horrible job. I mean, I had like smart young men. I mean, like they were so smart. Like they were like smarter than me. It's like when you see somebody who's like brilliant like not just like I'm an algebra teacher. So some kids don't like math, some kids love math. There's a mix, right? But for a kid who's like failing my math class and I can see that they don't have to work hard, like they got brilliant ideas, even though they're talking about other stuff. You're like, dude, why are you failing this class? This is this makes no sense. You're too smart for this. And because smart wasn't cool at my school, then they had to fit in to what society said was cool because they wanted to be cool. Nerds, nerds didn't get no credit. Nerds didn't, you know, the kids who were getting 4.0s didn't get no respect on that campus. If you're an athlete, if you got money, if you got new Jordans, if you got, you got, a, you know, you got a car, you you got a six pack, you know, you, you, you got you hit your growth spurt early. Like those kids got the respect. And so now you got kids who are like brilliant, who are acting like they're not because that doesn't get them any points in class. Talking back to me gets them a lot more points than doing their homework. So I'm gonna just talk back to Mr. Brent. I'm gonna just go in there and goof off today and make him look stupid today, right? And I'm like, dude, I would tell them like this: Look, you're you're not good at being bad. You know what I'm saying? Like I was so much better at this than you. Like you're, I'm catching you every time. Like just don't like it. You know what I'm saying? Like I would I would give them that kind of hard time. Like like you're so bad at being bad. Like can you just stop it, right? but they, there was points for them. So sometimes I had to let them get off, you know, let them get over on some things, right? Because it's, for them, it's some kind of credit. But what I knew that I couldn't keep doing that as a class, like, hey, let me talk to you outside. I'm like, dude, knock it off. Like, this is ridiculous. You're too smart to be acting like this. But first of all, like, I'm not going to keep taking this because every other student is going to think they can do it too. So I see what you're trying to do, but don't do it at the expense of, of me looking like I don't know what I'm doing in my job, you know? And I would have these real conversations with these young men. and I'm like, oh, man, branch, man, man. I said, listen, you know I see it. You know I see how smart you are, but you're acting like – and I realized that I couldn't I couldn't take every kid out who was doing this and have these conversations one-on-one because I'm, I'm not going to have time to teach. But what I knew that I had to do is I had to create that space for them. And so the Ever Forward Club started because I was like – I was going to leave teaching. I mean – I mean, I had already taken a pay cut of like 66%. So right. my, my financially, I was already feeling like a failure, even though I wanted to do this work to give back to my community. But I wasn't going to be broke and a failure. So I was like, look, I'll leave teaching. I'll go back and find another way to give back to my community. But I'm not going to be here sacrificing the financial rewards of what I had thought I had worked for. And then now I'm like, even not even doing a good job at this. And so those young men who I started seeing, I was like, All right, I'm gonna start this club. And I invited them. I invited them to be a part. I said, look, I'll buy you lunch once a week. We had a closed campus, so getting food from outside was always a treat, you know, in some ways. So I said, I'll I'll buy you lunch once a week. In exchange for lunch, you all are gonna teach me how to be a better teacher. Like deep down, I knew that I knew the math, but somehow I wasn't able to connect to the relationships. And that's how it all started. That's how the club started. That's how the, that's how the mission started. It, it wasn't me thinking, I'm going to start an organization and I'm going to help. You know, it was like, I'm doing a horrible job right here with these kids in these classes. Either I'm going to leave this or I got to figure out another way. And the, ever, and the ever club started that. And so those lunch meetings began the, those conversations over lunch. Just how you doing? Everyone check in. Everyone go around, and check in. How you doing? What's going on? What's good? What's bad? What's ugly? What you need help with, and I was like, i'm you know I was like a no kid's is allowed to fail class- like for me failing classes is like you just didn't try like we're gonna help you with whatever you need help with, so you don't fail any classes, no one should fail any classes, so who's having trouble which, what what do you having what classes you need help with okay, blah blah blah, who's doing well in um English? Anybody have that teacher? Okay. Can you work with him today after school? Okay, great. So I was like matchmaker, right? Like come in here at lunch. Oh, you can't say after school? You got sports? Okay. Come in here at lunch then and work on it, right? It was like, you're not allowed to like ignore where the struggles were, right? And I couldn't, I, we started with the idea that we're going to have food together. We're going to support you in the things you need to support it with. And as you get more comfortable, then you will begin to take off that mask. And I think we weren't even using the language around mask. It was just like, what's going on in your life? What do you need support with? And having other young men be able to share what they're going through. And you walk around and you think because that kid is wearing Jordans every day that he don't have any problems. But he got more problems than the kid who is wearing flip flops. You know what I'm saying? like He's like, what? How is that going on with you? You you look so perfect on the outside because a lot of times they use their eyes to judge what's going on with your whole life. Yeah, And if you look good on the outside, they think there, it can't be possible that you could be going through stuff in life. But that's where the that's where they get lost, and that's where they get that's where they totally um, miss it. And then, and when, with the mask uh, later on, began to help understand was that's what we wear. Hey, look at me! I look so good, <laughs> and not even knowing that inside, I'm just like falling apart. You know? Yeah. That's how that's how it all started. Gotcha. So, I want to back up quite a ways though
0: of how it all oh, okay. started because <laughs> you were an engineer before. Yeah. And something happened inside of you that was, hey, Ashanti, this is not your life's work. Go do something Mm -hmm. with meaning and purpose. Like, what? Tell me about that. What was that? What was the spark to this transition and shift and change in your life?
1: So, I think that my vision was that I was gonna work really hard, I was gonna make a lot of money, I was gonna start my own business, my own engineering firm or construction firm, and retire at 45. I had a that's what my that's what my mind was telling me. Um and I got into engineering, started making good money, and I was doing great. I mean, I was building some amazing buildings, working on some beautiful projects. And then I would think deep down it was like, hmm I'm coming home from work, I'm playing Xbox. I'm making dinner, I'm going out to dinner, every Friday I'm at happy hour, making a lot of money. I I'm I, from being a college kid who worked like five jobs to keep myself through college to like having one job and I come home and I have nothing to do. I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. What do I do with myself?" I just felt like there was something missing, I think. I think I'm, you know, I'm used to being busy but also like, "Okay, what do I do with my time?" And so then I started tutoring at this learning center, and then it started to, like turning some of the fire. And then I got an opportunity to teach at this program called Upward Bound, and okay. uh, Upward Bound is a program for first generation college students. And um, and my buddy asked me to tutor on Saturday mornings. I was like, mm, Nah, I don't even see Saturday mornings. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't wake up. I don't even know what Saturday morning looks like. You know what I'm saying? You at 8 o'clock? I got to be there? I mean, I got to wake up at 7 or something on a Saturday? I don't get home till 4 in the morning, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, Friday Friday night happy hour was a part of my weekly ritual, you know? Yeah. Because I wasn't – I thought happy ever after would come after you get the job and start making money. Yeah, right. I didn't realize that – I didn't realize that the happiness is also fleeting, but also that, like – it's not the way it works. <laughs> it's, it's not how it really works. And I, uh, I, I learned the hard way. So I learned the hard way because I was like expecting happy ever after. Like I should be happy all the time. And all I was doing was like going to happy hour, you know. And so happy hour became my Friday night thing. So when he asked me to tutor Saturday mornings, I'm like, that's not happening. And he said, man, I need a math teacher. I need you to help me at least so I can find another somebody else. I was like, okay. You know, it was a kind of long conversation, but you got two months. To find you another teacher, because Saturday mornings—if I'm gonna give up my Friday night partying, I'm giving up half of the happiness of my week. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I liked work. I mean, I liked work. It wasn't that the work—the work—I enjoyed my work, but I felt something was missing. It's like it's a sad thing when you're like, it's not like I hated my job. I really loved my job. I love going out to the construction buildings and seeing the stuff being built. That was—it's like a life size. Lego set every day, like, boom, like big things being built. And, but it was something missing. Like, what, what, why am I feeling unfulfilled? I've worked so hard to get here. And then I started tutoring at this learning center, at Upward Bound, and that's when it turned on. I remember, you know, thinking it was only two months and I ended up being there almost two years and teaching started calling me. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. Teachers don't make no money. Like, I, how in the world? Are you kidding me? Teach, I can't I can't do this kind of lifestyle with teaching you know what I mean and um I basically ran from it got a new promotion got better making more money thinking that more money would help the the feeling go away I think there's something different about when you're chasing purpose and you're chasing dollars right and yeah. it, before I had any dollars you couldn't tell me that I didn't want a whole lot of dollars right you couldn't you couldn't tell me that because I'd be like you're crazy you, you're crazy but after doing it, you're like, oh, it's only, I mean, I was never, I mean, I was never wealthy, but I was at a place where I didn't have to like, think about, do I want to go buy this thing? I would be like, I'm gonna go buy this thing. I'm gonna go get this thing. I'm gonna go eat over here. When i be, and I knew that my, since my mom was a teacher growing up, teaching was not going to let me live that kind of lifestyle. So right. I basically decided that. I'm never going to be a teacher. And then when teaching started calling me, I'm like, you got to be out of your mind. So I thought that I needed to do something to make the feeling go away. And going to get more money didn't make it go away. It actually made it worse. It was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, you can keep making all this money. But if you're not fulfilled inside, the money is just going to, you're going to try and cover it up. You're going to try and cover up the fact that you're not fulfilled. And so anyway, t- teaching called me and that's how it happened. I went back to school, become a teacher. And uh, that's when the journey kind of kicked off.
0: That's funny how that works out like that. <laughs> I I can I can very much relate to that. There's all kinds of similarities between your transition from engineering to teaching as my transition from engineering to coaching. And, and now as well, like the additional work that I'm trying to do with, with the podcast and belonging blueprint and just being present to have conversations like this with you on your podcast and other people's shows. And it's, it's really interesting to do something like this and it not be like a money revenue generator. And I don't give a shit about that. I still want to do it anyway. That would not have been the case ten years ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's oh man! I thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't know that part about, about your journey, and I think you know one of the things I think as I you know I listen to a lot of like speakers and motivators and and, and people who are trying to inspire. I always wonder, like you know, what what I was dreaming for before was like I wanted to. I want, I wanted. It was relevance, right? It was like I wanted to make a difference. Like I wanted to. I thought that by making, you know, when you don't have, when you grow up poor, you you think that the opposite of poor would be to be ha- to be rich, right? But but also when you're poor financially, if you don't feel relevant, then you may be just missing the idea that you're looking for more relevance. You want to say that I, my life means something. Yeah. And I think that I didn't, I thought that the opposite of the poor would be, would be money. And it wasn't money. It was, I wanted to make a difference in the world. I wanted my name to mean something more than what it was meaning at the time. Like I wanted to leave a legacy. I wanted to, help people in the world. I think it was that. And that's part is like, oh man, like sometimes like here, as a teacher, like uh, I, I don't want to glamorize it for people who thought it was just like this easy decision. Like it was, first of all, I ran from it first for two years and I only running from it. I also, some months I was like, what did you do? Like, what did you do? Like when I would get my check, and as a teacher, as an engineer, our company paid us, home, I think it was weekly. It was like every Thursday, like you just got money, right? And it was just like, it was an amazing sight to see, right? Like right. direct deposit, you're like, yep. what the heck? As a engineer, as a teacher, you could pay once a month. So I had to learn from going from being able to just be like, being wilding out with money to being like, I got to stretch this small ass check for 30 days. It was almost like, <laughs> it was It was so hard. It was like, Oh, I need a budget or something. I need to, I need to figure out what's going on because I got to stretch this out. There's no more coming in. There's no more coming in for the, you know, and when you first start teaching, you got to work a whole month before that, those hours go into the bank to then, get the check for that. So you almost got to work two months before you get the first check. And you're like, "How? who da, Who lives like this? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, not that thousands of people around the world don't maybe live like that, but I was in a whole another. I came from a different world. So I'm like, I got to wait a month and a half plus to get a... Ch- what? What's going on here? Like, what's, what is right. this? And it was almost just like a night and day kind of thing where you're just like... I, I oftentimes... The decision about teaching, the only regret was financial. It was no regret ever about, did I want to be doing this work? It was always like, why did I do this to myself in a financial way? Right. Why did I, why, when as an engineer, any of my friends who invited me to their wedding or to their bachelor party or destination weddings, let's go. Like, bachelor party in Mexico, let's go. When I became a teacher, I'm like, oh, where is it? how far away is it? Like I, everything became a scrutiny around. Like my friends are going out on a Friday night or something. I'm like, where y'all going? And so, Oh, we're going to go eat. And then we're going to go to the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Hmm, I know that restaurant. Yeah. That restaurant is, I wouldn't say it out loud. I'd be like, you know what? I'll just meet y'all at the, at the bar afterwards. Cause I knew that the restaurant was in a level of budget that I didn't have. And I couldn't stretch that month out enough to get. And I remember that part being, where I began to feel, like, uh, until I got to the place where I was able to say, not only do I feel relevant as a teacher, but I feel like I'm I'm giving back. There's one thing to be like, I'm fulfilled financially, and the other thing, I'm I'm fulfilled emotionally, socially, like, um, I don't know the other words to say about it, but I but I remember the difference in feeling. I remember the difference in like being at a club or at a bar, and someone says, "Oh, what do you do?" Because that's what everyone always asks, "What do you do?" When I was an engineer, I know what the feeling was when people responded in the shock or awe that, "Oh, really?" <laughs> and I know what it felt like when you said, oh, "I'm a teacher," and they're like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> right? There's a. It, it not only was a feeling that I got; it made me want to be like, "I don't like that feeling." So I would, I would usually then I would pivot and I'll be like, well, I'm an engineer, uh, but I chose to leave engineering to become a teacher, right? I wanted to feel relevant in the context that I had done what I, my heart was telling me to do, but I didn't like what society made me feel about that thing. And that was so, I mean, I, I still remember those feelings. I don't even talk about it. Like that, that difference of how people responded. And not that it should matter. Not that it should matter. But guess what? It, it does. <laughs> it kind of did to me, you know. Right? I, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then you had to put the mask on, and then you just put the mask on. You like, oh, I'm an engineer though. I'm I'm a teacher, but I'm an engineer though. So you know that I'm I'm smart. That I like that, like like it's almost like a it's almost like I have to play the play the game. I have to put on the show, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is, I mean, you never could have told me when I was in school I wanted to be a teacher. Like, if you had told me when I was in, like, that was never a job I was even thinking about because I knew teachers didn't make money. So it was almost like I went to the job that was going to get me not only respect, but make a lot of all these things that I thought were going to make me feel more fulfilled and only fulfill one piece of it. And so, how long can you live in that? And I remember just seeing, you know, older engineers like not happy with their job, like miserable. And I was like, do I got to be, do I got to be this? I got to get to 65 doing this work that people here are miserable doing. Like, do I really, is this really what I want? And because I was able to leave at the time I left, you know, I didn't have any, I had no mortgage, no kids. So I was able to be like, I'm going to make this move. And and originally I thought I was going to leave for like two years and just go get this kind of like desire to give back out of my system. (laughs) And that was 20 years ago. So. Right, it, it, it didn't. Uh, it didn't go away, you know. For sure, for sure. I think there's
0: there's probably a whole ton of different layers that we could go through there. There's there's <laughs> definitely we could go on and on. But the part that I want to hit on more particularly that I'm curious about, maybe maybe for selfish reasons, to mm. to see how how much more similarity there is and parallel there is between. how our our life trajectory was in those days what was what was your your upbringing like like your childhood like and how much of that played a role into you feeling like that was the thing that you needed to go do and that was the thing that would provide this fulfillment
1: this, this
0: seemingly like
1: financially only route yeah yeah, great question. Um, so my um, my I was raised. My father died before I was born. My 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 father died three months before I was born. Whoa. I was raised by a single mother. Um, I didn't know the story of my branch side of my life until later. Um, but um, he died. Um, and my mom did the best she could. My mom was a you know, my mom was 22 years old when she had me. She was a college student. She was trying to. Get her, she was going to study teaching. My mom became a teacher, ironically. And um, and we struggled. We struggled. We, we, we were on, we were poor. We were on welfare. We were on food stamps. I remember the, I mean, I'm talking about, like, nowadays, food stamps is like a card. It's like an like EBT card. It's like a debit card. Right. You don't know. You don't know. Somebody swipes their money. They put their code in. They go leave the store. I was on the kind of food stamps that was like Monopoly money. So, you know, I I walk into the store with like a bunch of pieces of paper look like Monopoly money. It's not even the right size. And so everybody in line know you're poor. Like, (laughs) I already know I'm poor, but now everyone in line knows I'm poor. So I would be like, my mom would send me to the store to be like, hey, go buy this stuff. And I'm like, okay. And then a half hour later, I come back out. She's like, what took you so long? I'm like, the line was long. She's like, there's not that many people in this parking lot. Because what would happen is if people would come in behind me in line, I would let them go in front of me. Because I didn't want nobody seeing see me pull this Monopoly money out of my pocket. So I was like embarrassed. I didn't really want the cashier to see it, but they had to see it. But the people behind me in line, I didn't want the stares of people watching this kid hand over Monopoly money to the cashier. I felt it. And that feeling is something that I will never forget. It's a feeling that like I'm feeling right now, like I was like, why, why is my life like this? You know, like, and so I think that deep down growing up as the oldest, my responsibility was to help take care of my siblings to, I was always working at home. I was always exhausted. I was always doing something to do. It was like, my mom had this allergy to anybody doing nothing. So she was always trying to make up stuff for me to do. Like it was kind of a a training ground for learning to be a doer. Like your being is not enough just to get love and respect. I'm not doubting she loved me, but I think it always seemed connected to the doing So I became really, like, trained that I always need to be doing something to get love, to get respect, to be appreciated. Which, as I look back, it's not really healthy, but it was the reality. So I think deep down, like, I knew that being poor was not an option if i had a choice and when i was a sophomore in high school is when my mom um when i found out that my mom was a teacher like i didn't really know what i mean i knew she was doing i was always helping her grade papers and stuff like that but i didn't really know no no i tried to join that program upper bound like that program upper bound that i eventually man teaching at and i tried to join it and so i turned in the application it came to my school and i was like i turned my application in the next day cuz i'm like i'm going to college i am not going to be poor i'm getting out of this city of oakland and i remember coming the next day she called i turned my application in and she's like oh man you got this thing in turned in fast i was like i'm 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 in this program cuz this is going to help me get out of oakland and i remember her calling me in like 2 days later I, you know i got called out of class I went down for my little interview. I was ready. She was like, Shanti, you know, you have an amazing application here. Like, thank you for turning in so soon. But, um, unfortunately you don't qualify for this program. I'm like, what she's talking about. I want to go to college. She's like, well, yeah, but I understand that. But this program is for first generation college students. I'm like, yeah, we're like, I'm poor. Like that's us. And they're like, well, you know, the part right here, your mom filled out. Your mom says she's a teacher. I'm like, so what does that mean? And they're like, that means your mom went to college. And I remember, like, in my mind, and even maybe out loud, saying, you mean my mom went to college for us to be this broke? <laughs> like, like who would do that? Who would go to college and then your family? Like, I got holes in my shoes. Like, you know what I'm saying? When it rains, my shoes are like sponges. I'm walking down the hall squeaking, squeegee. Like, how is this possible? And I knew that day that I would never be a teacher, One. And I knew that I would never have a job where I couldn't live, where my kids would have to ever walk to school with holes in their shoes. And you know, I'm thankful for my mom. I really am. But um, whew, this was growing up was hard. It was really hard. So, I think when I think about like growing up and feeling like. That leaving engineering was more of a whoo. Oh, this was hitting me. Wow. It wasn't only a career change. It was like, are you betraying the vision that you had for yourself, so that you would never struggle, that you would never. Have to shop based on sales so that you have enough. And I realized that the hardest times in teaching were those months where the savings was gone. All of my engineering money was gone. I'd already depleted it all because my expenses were higher than what's coming in. And I was still learning how to budget. So yeah, man, that was a beautiful question. I haven't talked about that in a while, but those were the hardest parts. Um I think, and feeling like my responsibility as, a, as the oldest of this family was to set an example for my siblings. And not only set an example around uh, living a, a lifestyle that I dreamed of, but also giving my best. And, um, yeah, teaching is hard work. It wasn't that I wasn't working hard. It was, I didn't feel, it's one way of the thing. Like I come home from engineering job, not feeling fulfilled in the work, but got plenty of money and time to do other stuff. And then I go to a teaching job where I feel super fulfilled in the work and I have no money or time and stuff. (laughs) Like I was, I was like, like, what did you, what did you do? Did you, you, you chose this? Yeah, I did for for some crazy reason. But I'm clear now today, you know, I'm clear now today running this nonprofit, which is almost a reverse of uh, even going far in regression of the teaching, right? Because at least in teaching, there's a guaranteed check at the end of the month. When you run a nonprofit, you better go out and raise that money. Like, you're a hunter. <laughs> you're a hunter and gatherer. And if you don't raise no money, there ain't no money. So right. it's almost like your check is not even as a teacher, you got a guaranteed check. Even though it's a small check and you go to a nonprofit, it ain't guaranteed if you ain't out raising money. And so your, your, your existence becomes even more responsible to like keep things moving. Right. In the doing. Wow, man, man. Wow. Thank you for that question. It hit yeah, me, man. thanks it hit for me.
0: thanks for sharing all that. It clearly man. it clearly got you.
1: Yeah, man, beautiful. It's, it comes sometime. You never know. never yeah. know when it's coming.
0: You never you never do know. <laughs> you never do know. But I appreciate you uh, sharing me. that and, and sharing those
1: feelings with us. Man, thank you.
0: I and yet I definitely have some, uh, some parallels to that. Like we're, we're poor in my life growing up. I was the first one in my family to go to college. I saw college wow. as that, that thing to not be poor. I remember the, when I got my first job as an engineer and I got my first paycheck and I'm like, holy fuck, my first job, first day out of school, I'm automatically making more than my parents ever did combined between the two of them. I made it. I did it. Yay. You know, 10 years later into that career, this is, this is dumb. What am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) Why am I here? I hate my boss. He sucks. It was fine when I didn't hate my boss, but now that I hate my boss, now I really hate my job.
1: (laughs) Oh, man.
0: Yeah. And coaching was the thing that was calling me. And it was, it's a thing, it's a, it's an avenue for me to give back. And I've talked about it with other people too. Like as I connected with it later, like if powerlifting went away, I wouldn't care. I mean, Mm. yes, there'd be a part of me that would care. I I shouldn't say that I wouldn't care, but I would be able to find another way to express helping people be stronger versions of, stronger versions of themselves. Doesn't have to be just the muscle, and in fact, my favorite clients are the ones that I get to work with that want to work on more than just the muscle, and they want to work on the mind. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of similarities there.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you for doing that, and I think it's and for being able to share with people because I think that for people who feel stuck, right, like I know it, I get it. I get the feeling of stuck. I, I felt stuck. And to, like, figure out how much of it is a story that I'm telling myself compared to how much is really in the stuck, you know? I always hear uh, Jerry Colonna in his podcast um, talk about how I, how have I been complicit in the situation that I say I don't want? not how do I blame myself, but how do how I just name where I have been played a part in the conditions that I say I don't really want in my life? And though That that question has been one that has helped me a lot. Like, okay, what's not happening? Like my health, you know? Like, you know, over the last year, I've like just taken my mind off of mindful eating, just eating whatever was easy and fast and leave work late and grab something fast and quick and delicious and and just mind mindlessly, mindlessly eating and knowing that and not even thinking about the consequences. So the consequences show up and you're like, oh my goodness, this is, uh, I've been, you know, killing myself with my teeth, you know? Like what is happening and making better decisions now and making, being more mindful about, okay, that's easy to eat right now, but it's going to cost more later, right? And like those kind of things, right? Like so all the ways that we... That you support people and that, you know, we make those hard decisions. Cause I don't think it's easy. I mean, I, I have an addiction to sweets. I, I wish I wish yeah. it was something that I could be like, well, oh, I don't I could take it or leave it. No, 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 no. Like I don't have I have no healthy relationships with Oreos. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I have an unhealthy code. Not even a codependent. They're not dependent on me. I'm dependent. Like I have a dependency, <laughs> and I and it's, it's unhealthy. It's it's ridiculous. But guess what? When I go to the store, I pay for it myself. I'm not hurting nobody to buy it. I can come bring it home, have some, and I will do unhealthy like re- behaviors because I have mindlessly decided that I, this makes me feel good. Because I don't want I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. I don't want to feel the overwhelm of work. I want to feel the I'm not far enough in my career. I don't want to feel the, so what would help me not feel it right now? Just enjoy this, this deliciousness right now for the next, you know, half an hour, or however long I'm in the, and then after I finish the whole package or the whole row and I'm like, what'd I just do? Then I have to then ask myself those questions. Right. So I think right. just this next, this phase of like helping people, like, you know, my work is with teens and yours was with, you know, the people you coach and knowing that, What's easy for me, it's easy for me not to go and maybe have a beverage because that doesn't call my attention so much. So to tell somebody, hey, uh, don't, just don't drink it. Just don't take it. Don't do it. Don't blah, blah, blah. Like I, It's easy to tell somebody that from the outside, but until you've experienced, it's easy to tell somebody, hey, if you don't like your job, change your job. Unless you've experienced what it's like to decide to shift the career that's not only just about my heart but about my pocket and about my lifestyle about my by being able to live and all the things that go into it and i think sometimes people oversimplify right when they're in that work and but people who've done it can speak from a place of context like yeah this i can imagine the hard decision i can imagine the hard decision from not ever lifting a weight to now being like i want to go to this next phase or you're like a person may think it's impossible, but to be able to be like, you can do it just for one step at a time, you know? So I think that's one of our, like culturally,
0: particularly in, in the United States, one of our biggest downfalls is our comfort and our Mm -hmm. inability to sit with moments of discomfort and just be okay in discomfort, be okay with, not eating the Oreos or in my case, not eating the Doritos. So like that's my guilty pleasure is the Doritos. So I, I can't have them in the house. I, I just don't have them in the house. I'm not allowed to have them in the house because I won't eat a handful. I'll eat the bag. So they're just not allowed. And Man. again, I, I, a lot of that when we think about like the psychology behind eating and a lot of that stuff, it's, it's, a coping mechanism because of the discomfort. Yeah. In a, you know, condensed, simplified way to look at it, anyways.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, the other question that I wanted to hit on before we start wrapping up here, because I realize we're, we're, we're getting, we're getting <laughs> long winded. <laughs> and I, and I could stay super long winded, but I want to be mindful of your time. Oh, man. W- was, so you've gone through a lot of this journey of of going into engineering to be financially secure, to switching to teaching to where you're not financially secure, to yeah. moving on to a nonprofit that you're running that yeah. has the potential to be even less financially secure. <laughs> <laughs> but you're in a lot better place for yourself overall. Yeah what is at the core of that like where where is all that at that provides that
1: that well-being for you yeah great question i, mean, I would think that at the core of well-being right now for me is that um Like I have I, okay, there's two parts of it. <clears throat> one is that I thought that at this point in my life I would be farther along on a how much I have saved for retirement phase I should be already retired by now imagine my my manifesto at fifteen years old of myself when I got rejected from that program was that by forty five I was gonna be rich right so i'm i'm further i'm not on on track um for that goal, but what I am on track for is that that I have given so many days of my life to try and help make the world better for others, that I have plenty more goals on my plan. I was listening to this uh Les Brown in the morning um, and a thing from T.D. Jakes and E.T., the, e. the Hip Hop Preacher, was like a mix, a uh, collab, of uh, motivational morning meditation. And it was almost like, my goals right now, every day I get up i I'm, I'm hoping that I continue to go after the thing I want to do next. The next thing is a book right that I'm trying to work on. And some days I'm afraid because I'm'm I'm, I'm, my writing, I don't think it's so good, but also I got some help now. so it's like no excuse. I have help on these things that I want to work on. And what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of it being a bad? Am I afraid of it being good? My what am I afraid of now? But I'm clear that when it's my time to go, and I, and I know that life is finite. That I, don't, I don't get to choose when it's my time to go. That I've given everything I got to make the world a better place. You know, I am. I, I give back to others. I, I, I care a lot. I, and so I think what I thought that I was going to do by being rich and being able to live a life fully that I don't have to work anymore. It was not what I was looking for. I was looking for a life where I felt like I was making a difference and I felt like fulfilled. And every day, even though I don't make, you know, the money that I dream of dreamed of making at this point in my life, but I feel fulfilled. I feel, I feel joy work. It's hard work, but I feel happy. I don't feel the the happenings I thought of, the the fairy tale happenings where it's happy ever after. Oh my god! It's like there are <laughs> days where I'm just like, what is going on here? There are days when we work with schools who are like saying we want to help our kids and and then they they don't do the work. They don't they don't make it happen. I feel that that pressure and that that frustration. But I'm clear that every day I'm working toward a dream that it was given to me to help bring to the world the million mask movement it's a it's is a dream that that came to me and i wasn't afraid to like put it out in the world even though i have no idea how we're going to collect a million masks around the world but i'm clear that that i will keep i will keep working every day and trying to inspire others to be a part of that movement with us so i think that's where i think it it lands today it's i i want to I think I heard a a old quote by uh, uh, by Tupac, you know, it was uh, when I was growing up, that was big time uh, rapper. Right. And he was like, I may not change the world, but I will spark the mind that will change the world. And and I'm glad to say that, you know, I, I believe that for myself, that I may not be it may not be me who does it, but it will be through this movement of helping people find their self, that their lives change and their children's lives change and their kids, kids life change. And like generations after that person and that first young man who came to Ever Forward said, I'm not going to keep acting like I'm not smart. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give my, I'm going to give my best shot at this life that they now have kids who saw their parents strive for better. And I think that's what I get to do. And I've, and now that I have, you know, the ever the first the ever four club members who were first 2004, they're like in their 30s now. Right. So they having kids now and to just have them send me pictures and be like, hey, Branch, I want to introduce you to my daughter, my son, my my multiple kids. I'm like, oh, man, that's beautiful. to be able to have to be able to see their their journey has been inspirational. So, yeah, I man. feel I feel like I did my I did my best and I keep doing my best until it's my time to go. Yeah, that's beautiful.
0: Because especially I think a lot of this work and work that pretty much any work that's meaningful, there is not instant gratification. There just isn't. And you have to wait for it to cultivate. You have to wait for the seed to germinate and see what happens, not just right there in that moment, but what happens down the line, down the generational line in this case where you get to see those kids that you worked with, what now they're doing with their kids. And yeah. like, that's the, that's the ripple right there. That's right. That's, that's, that's the right. ripple. That's the pebble that turns into a tidal wave. Like, <laughs> I love it.
1: It does. It does. That's the ripple right there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: We interrupt the show with a brief message. This podcast was created through a strong sense of belonging. Becoming a parent brings a massive learning opportunity. One of the most important things to know is that Every child's most basic need is to feel a sense of belonging and significance. As I learned this and reflected on it, I came to the realization that we as adults still have that need to feel a sense of belonging. I also soon realized the most powerful and sustainable way to attain that sense of belonging was to create it within ourselves. External validation is fleeting. Cultivating our relationship with ourselves to create our own sense of belonging from the inside out is what is sustainable. This concept has inspired me to construct the Belonging Blueprint, a personal development course that is available to you now. In this course, you will learn to navigate your life with the confidence you could only dream about in the past. I'll give you the tools you need to create your own belonging blueprint that will guide you to more ease and flow in your life. To get more information and enroll today... You can click the link in the show notes or message me directly. Now back to the show. Wrapping up, getting closer to wrapping up. I like to check in with guests and see what their like go-to self-care tool is and what the thing is mm-hmm. that they like to do that that allows them to, in this case, we could we could word it with uh, connecting with the things behind the mask yeah. so that you you're rooted and grounded in yourself and your authenticity and just the thing that you can do when you're stressed to just bring yourself back to yourself instead of being a, a product of the external what what is that yeah. go-to self-care tool for you and how do you use it what does it do for you
1: things like that yeah i, I think i'm a amateur photographer i call myself that i, I um i take pictures of nature mm-hmm. uh mostly trees Also, you know like i like to go on hikes i love the ocean i love water water is a really big source of energy for me go out to the somewhere in the bay i live on the east the west coast excuse me west coast so i can find water somewhere and just go listen to the waves go jump in a cold ice cold plunge in the in the water and reconnect to my body um i Uh, A friend of mine and I, we've done this thing called radical self care, which is, um, he runs an organization and I do too. So we once, we we, we had a plan. One year we was like almost once a month and then we both got busy. So we stopped. But once a month we would go and just take a couple of hours, one or two hours. We would go have a meal. We would go have a talk, walk and talk. We would go get a foot massage. Like it would be like some way of just like, we're going to intentionally time out of our week to go do some self-care and we had a commitment that if if we made the date and one of us had to break the other one still had to go Mm -hmm. it wasn't like oh because that person didn't show you up, you don't do it and the other person had to make it up like it was like kind of like a commitment to each other to like we can't we can't neglect self-care and since we made a commitment to each other it was really powerful so um we're 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 gonna kick it up into a higher status in 2023, um, and we're gonna invite more people to the Radical Self Care Days. And uh, yeah, we're just gonna. I mean, I think it's just uh, yeah. So I think that's one thing that I do. Also, I've I've been doing more of, and and yeah, that's those are my those are my go tos. I think yeah. No, and I, I like awesome. to cook. I like to cook. So okay, I I mean, I mean, you have to cook, but I think I really enjoy cooking. So stop not eating out as much makes me more present and be like, okay, I got to prepare my meal and slow down because right. I can actually, I can go to the drive through and eat in five minutes, but if I got to cook it, it's going to be longer, but it lets my practice slow me down enough to say what I'm going to put in my body is important. So that's my, that's my, that's my short list right there. Right on. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good
0: stuff. I appreciate you sharing that. And close things up, have people want to find you how do they how do they find you? Where can they reach you at
1: man for those thank you first of all thank you um, um I'd say the best place to go would be everforwardclub.org. that's an organizational website um, if you want to make a mask well, you heard us talking about a lot of times you can go to millionmask.org. dot org and uh if you want to follow me on social media uh, mostly everywhere is branch speaks um uh, Branch speaks on social media and then everforwardclub.org um and we and we would love you to be a part of this movement with us you know we're we're at about 65,000 masks from more than 30 mm-hmm. countries so you know we love we invite you to join it before we get to a million so you can be like i was a part of the million right. mask movement when it was in its early stages you know so definitely. that's what we ask definitely yeah. cool i'll
0: definitely post those links up in contact information up in the show notes for for anybody that needs to uh find it so thank you Ashanti. Thank you. i appreciate you sharing me with uh sharing with us your story and i appreciate you being the light in
1: the world thank you ross appreciate you brother
0: thanks for joining project unchained today It's important to note that I'm not a doctor nor a licensed therapist. I'm just a guy who is passionate about helping empower others to break free from their limiting thoughts and beliefs to have extraordinary life experiences. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That will ensure that this podcast can reach more people. We're more powerful together, so please do share this with others. I'm always happy to engage with you, so please do reach out via social media or email if you'd like to chat. A special thank you to my very talented cousin, Galen Lee, for the intro and outro music to this show. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, make your life experience extraordinary. Let's get unchained. away.